The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Shall we begin? According to our unscientific analysis, James Bond is the most recognized character in movie history. The James Bond series kickstarted a massive spy movie and television show craze in the 60s and generated a wealth of tropes that have saturated nearly every other aspect of popular culture. The reason for this deep impregnation of our shared psyche is that for 40 years, across 20 films, the franchise never wavered from the tried-and-true crowd-pleasing elements that had made the original Dr. No such a big hit. I'm Todd. And I'm Dave, and we like to talk about spy movies. Although intentionally apolitical, the Bond films are very much informed by the Cold War. It's possible to imagine that the end of that period signaled a need for the character to evolve. Certainly by the turn of the century, it was clear that the classic formula had fallen very far behind the realities of the world around it. It needed a full reboot, and that's what today's film aimed to do. We're talking Casino Royale on this episode of Spies Like Us. Uh, we've covered three previous Bond films, what I like to call the old Bond. Casino Royale does represent a reboot. We have uh, referred to doing those podcasts as eating our broccoli a little bit, uh, especially for Dave. I'm a bigger Absolutely. fan. I'm a bigger <laughs> fan of, of the action spy genre uh, than than Dave is. This one I'm super excited about, and I, I wanted to ask you how, how you feel about you know, just in comparison to the other Bonds, where, where are you at? I think it's much better than the other Bonds, but I think uh, previously, when I first saw this film, we hadn't been doing this podcast, and now coming back to it, I really loved it when I first saw it, especially that was during the big poker craze, so I was like, ooh, poker, uh, but uh, after doing this podcast and like actively paying attention to what tradecraft there was, I, I think I felt less about the film than I did before, but I, I will definitely be on your side where this is much better than the other Bond films. <laughs> right on. It is a 2006 film. As with all Bond films, it features a somewhat or very fictionalized version of MI6. Let's put it that way, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> There's also a little bit of CIA dropped in there. Uh, there's some terrorists who aren't named, but are most certainly based on the LRA, which I'll give some details about that in a second. And uh, the fictional Spectre from the earlier films. So uh, first, the the LRA, that's, uh, you know, I deduce that from a lot of things. These guys are based in Uganda. Uh, they're using child soldiers. Um, the LRA stands for the, uh, oh, Shoot. Oh, yeah. The Lord's Resistance Army. They are a Christian group in name, at least. And so another clue that this is based on the LRA is that uh, in the opening scene, the leader asks Lashif if he believes in God. The embassy that Malacca, Malacca is the bomb maker that Bond chases in our first action scene. The, the embassy he seeks refuge in is a fictional country. Now, I do say that this is Spectre. Uh, that we see in the film, uh, mostly in the form of the Mr. White character. But Spectre is not named in this film. 
And the reason for that is that the Thunderball legal shit was still pending. That's something we talked about before. Uh, Way back in 63, Ian Fleming settled a lawsuit out of court by giving over uh, the film rights to Spectre and all its characters. The film rights. He retained the literary rights. That was a weird state of affairs that lasted all the way up until 2013 when MGM finally got the Spectre rights back. So Spectre isn't named in either of the first three films, but uh, right after they did get the rights back, uh, they they gleefully named the next film Spectre, even reintroducing Blofeld, which was the puppet master behind the scenes of almost all of the original Sean Connery films. And so there's that. That's our, uh, that's our, that's our agencies. As we've said before, if you if you're a fan of this show, you know that uh, David and I are not big Bond fans. Uh, a weird <laughs> thing to say, perhaps, about two guys that have a spy movie podcast. Uh, I think he's definitely fun to talk about and study. Um, yeah, but but I am I am all in on this movie. When they, I didn't I didn't know this that uh, when Daniel Craig was cast. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of negative critic and fan response. I think there was even like a cover of a news trade magazine calling him James Bland and people (laughs) saying that he didn't know how to drive, that he didn't know how to shoot. I think it's fair to say he, I mean, he might have been partially motivated by the negative response to really give it his all and, and blow them away. And I think he absolutely proved all of them wrong. Absolutely. As far as those things you've mentioned, I really liked Daniel Craig um, and and a lot of the action in this film compared, compared to previous Bond films we've done. Even during that time, all of the previous Bond actors were actually supportive of his casting, even before the film had come out. Now Brosnan did want the role. Um, but after the producers had seen The Born Identity and other contemporary spy movies, I have gone on record myself. This is the first time I've seen it supported, but my theory has always been that Born Identity and a couple other films, uh, which, well, we've talked a little bit about Mission Impossible and we have covered Ronin. And I think those movies, I think if you look at those as a Bond movie maker, you're like, we got to change this shit up. We we really right, and uh, uh, if we're gonna raise up the action stakes, uh, Brosnan's just at this point he's just too old and uh, wants thirty million, which uh, is a lot in two thousand six money <laughs> for sure. Right, <laughs> um, but even though Brosnan wanted in, um, class act of an actor when he ran into uh, Daniel Craig. Uh, during a period while Craig was still having doubts about taking the role, he encouraged him to take it. Uh, you know, as soon as he, when he found out he wasn't going to get it, like he wasn't a dick about it, which <clears throat> I, I think is cool. I like to, I, I don't know much about Brosnan, but I like to think he's a classy guy. So, so this, he, he definitely this has a persona. Heart. Right. Yeah. So uh, I, I do like that little tidbit. That's nice. <laughs> But yeah, based on now, I've I you know I'm not uh, I'm not an Ian Fleming head, uh, so I wouldn't know myself. But apparently, this version of Bond is much closer 
to the Ian Fleming character, um, much more of a like heartless killing machine, uh, but also uh, allowed to be a lot more vulnerable, both physically and mentally. Uh, and I dig that very much, very much. We have a, a repeat appearance check. Right. Yeah, he was in Munich. That's right. He said he was very much inspired and informed uh, by all of the intelligence operatives that uh, were advisors on that film. Um, said that uh, just like, and these are, I mean, they had people on on as advisors on Munich that really like are as close as you could be to like James Bond's in real life. And uh, he said, you could just, you could just see it in the way they walk and the way their eyes move and the way they, you know, check all the exits, every place they go into. And he really wanted to bring that in. So uh, excited about that. I've got another repeat performance that might be a little harder for you to remember. Now here I'm talking about M's secretary, I guess, male oh, secretary, yeah. Tobias Menzies. Do you remember what we've yeah. seen him in before? Oh yeah, he was in the Night Manager. Yeah, he was. Uh, that's right. Uh, and and I really liked him in Outlander. And I think he was in An Honorable Woman. Uh, he's 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 got a really like kind of tough look. So I was surprised to see him in a role like this because other roles I've seen him in, he's kind of like a badass or like you know a much stronger persona. But this, he was kind of just like. M's like a go-to guy or like gopher, not like a go-to guy, more like a gopher. Yeah. Like he was yeah. the one that threw up when the, uh, when right. his wife yeah. was killed. Like uh-huh. M's just like walking, like she's seen death like a million times her whole life. Bond's like, yeah, whatever. It's another day on the job. And he's like fucking getting queasy and stuff. <laughs> Here's a nice treat for you. Uh, in between, Casino Royale and the night manager, uh, Tobias played Ian Fleming in a TV miniseries called any human heart, 2010. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Got to mention that, right? Talking about a Bond film. One thing we should also mention our, our main villain, Le Chief. Um, he, he was in rogue one, which we'll probably do eventually. And we're definitely doing Andor. he was the dad, I think. Yes. The, the well, one that's yeah, sent the plan. No, he's, he, he wasn't the villain. Oh, he is. He? You're right. You're right. He is the dad. He's the guy that designed the Death Star. Right. And he, he implanted the uh, weakness of the Death Star that they had the Disney retcon to make sense of A New Hope. Uh, yeah, that's the dad. And I, I was happy to see him. He's kind of like he, he reminds me of like Elon Musk. I don't know. The whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm like, this is Elon Musk. If he was a villain. Um it was kind of weird. There was a lot of like little mannerisms and like looks and like facial expressions he had that I kind of felt were kind of Elon Musky. Huh. It was kind of weird because this is like a much older film. Yeah, we're talking. Of course, the actor's name is Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, yes, Mads Mikkelsen. Casino was my introduction to him, but yeah, I also liked him in Rogue One. He's the villain. He's a very good villain in the Doctor Strange movie. And um, he's going to be some character in some untitled Indiana Jones film that I don't know anything about. Le Chief is now this this movie actually is really really packed with little cool symbolism stuff. 
uh, a, a ton of which, like, I, I, I can't even like imagine boring the audience with everything I found. It's, it's pretty fun to look up, but uh, Le Chiffre translates into English as the number. Uh-huh. And he's supposed to be, you know, a mathematics genius, but it also translates in Romanian to broken eye. Oh, wow. So that whole eyeball thing he has is, is uh, playing both of these. That's what, wow. That's really cool. I've also seen some claims where um, when, when we say that it translates into the number um, it's, it's also like it, could mean like X, like a number whose value is not known or oh. a cipher, something. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, there's yeah, a mysterious number, let's say. Like solved so, for a Le Chief. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> the, yeah. He's got the eye that weeps blood. It is uh, I checked. It is a real medical condition known as something that I really cannot pronounce but i'm gonna try it as hemolacria hemolacria yeah no that's a tough one it's not entirely fictional some people some people have that sad for them um and le chief has previously been played by uh peter laurie and also by orson wells oh wow that's really cool what like in a bond film or Right. So, yeah. So I'll leap ahead to uh, other versions. There are two previous film versions of Casino Royale. There was a 1954 television series starring Barry Nelson as Bond. And that's the one with Peter Lorre as the villain, as well as a uh, non-canonical satirical film in 67 that starred Peter Sellers and Woody Allen. Well, that's those are some big shoes to fill. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Other actors that I wanted to talk a little bit about are the ladies in the film. Um, now, I heard this once, and I, I I couldn't find any support for it, but I heard from at least one source that Judy Dench had been signed to do at least one more movie. So that so there's a possibility if that source is correct, that they were like kind of contractually stuck with her mm. to, to reappear as M because she had started uh, as M in GoldenEye in the first uh, Pierce Brosnan film. But even if that's true, what a great place to be stuck, mm. you know, uh, because uh, you do want, you do want, judy dench in in these films even more i i mean yeah she's great in the brosnan stuff but starting with casino royale they give her really so much more to do and make her such a bigger character and um, she is like a gravitas that like really commands the scene i i I really liked her a lot especially in this one compared like to previously she's just like a clever brass you know like higher up type that just makes clever British statements. Uh, but this, she was like, kind of like commanded the scenes and she was, she was not someone to like, you know, be reckoned with. I have, you know, even, even great actors sometimes will take a job just for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I have seen Judy Dench just like uh, go through the, go through the numbers 
you know, go through the steps of, of right. acting roles and, and it kind of being clear if you're really paying attention that she actually has no idea what movie she's in <laughs> or what, she's, what her lines like mean. Uh, right. I'm looking at you, especially Chronicles of Riddick. Um, but this one, I think she really like. I mean, she really wakes up to this material. I think she she liked what she saw on the script, and uh, mm. brought her 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 extra A game even to a genre film. So applause for her. Uh, Ava Green was also like in addition like. Clearly, it's it's not hard to imagine that they went through hundreds of names uh, as far as who was going to be the next James Bond. Um, I don't even, I don't even want to go through a short list of those. Right. Um, but uh, I did want to mention that Ava Green, uh, who's playing Vesper here as as our Bond girl, uh, it's a really important role. And some of the names I saw that were top of the list on this, I think, would have been stupid as fuck to put in um, <laughs> even though even though the names i'm going to give are are good names angelina jolie Charlize theron um, i'm fans of both of them but i do think you can't like you can't put this semi unknown daniel craig up against a super known property that could potentially kind of blow him off the screen Right. You know, it has to be yeah. it has to be someone a little more low key. So I was I was just actually even weirded out when I saw uh some of those names there. I did see one name that I think could have worked uh quite well, and that would have been uh Kira Knightley. Um I could have She would have been known by then, wouldn't well she? One. What's that? Wouldn't she have been known at that point? She's she's known, but to broad audiences, I think she's only known for pirates at this point. Uh, I see. And also, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think I don't think she's done anything that wasn't a period piece. I don't think she's ever done any film where she wasn't in a corset. <laughs> Love Actually. Oh, okay. Really? Okay. Yeah. There's a shower scene with Vesper that was originally scripted to uh, have her wearing nothing but her underwear. And uh, it was Daniel Craig that stepped in and said, like, no, this doesn't make sense. She wouldn't have stopped to take her clothes off. And the oh, the one changed. where she's, like, squatting in the shower, like, traumatized? Yeah. Oh, I love that she was in that fabulous dress. They, they made such a point, uh, you know, where Craig's like, I need you to look fabulous as you come over and kiss my neck in front of everybody so I can like wreck them at poker and and it, and she comes out looking stunning like and like stops the whole room and then now you see her like completely like like destroyed from witnessing like like you know a whole fight and like death of two people and I, no I no I agree I think it was better that she was still in the dress that she was just so like catatonic she just walked straight into the shower to like wash the blood off you know quote like metaphorically like I no I thought no no yeah that would have been terrible I thought it was really fun and smart that they did have her so freaked out over that situation because most Bond films and most of the films in this kind of genre I mean yeah they'll they'll be a little like ruffled or something, but 
you know, this just so much more of a realistic human reaction than we're used to seeing in these kind of films. I had a note like on the, when you talk about like when she comes in and like, yeah, as James Bond has planned, he wants her to like stop the room and have all attention on her. I saw that two ways. The only evidence I saw that anyone, you know, that everyone was looking at her was when, uh, what's his name? The French guy. Um, Mathis. Yeah. When Mathis told her. So what I saw on screen that was that, only one person was completely distracted by her and that was James Bond. And I thought that was actually a funnier take on it that yeah, uh, like his, his play had like kind of backfired into his face. Right. Uh, I, I, I would have stuck with that. Um, the director, uh, almost done with context here. The director uh, has got a fairly short resume. This is Martin Campbell. Um, but he did direct 1995's GoldenEye, which was kind of a soft attempt to revitalize the Bond franchise. You know, new Bond, new M. Um, but I guess they still felt like he had good thoughts on on how to reboot a Bond series. And maybe they gave him, like, a, you know, maybe they realized, like, what he could have done if they had given him more uh you know like a longer leash uh is what i like to think the last now this is trivia and then we're gonna go to briefing room unless you got anything else on context uh the scene where bond rises up out of the ocean this is in uh, the bahamas yeah is considered like you know a crazy like at this point considered like a crazy iconic moment um, it definitely, like, they leaked that to the press, like, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and it really did uh, change a lot of people's uh, opinion about him. And also, like, it's, um, people people thought it was an homage to Octopussy, where, like, a woman rises out of the ocean in almost the <laughs> exact same way. But check it out. It wasn't planned. Uh, he was actually just supposed to keep swimming by, but he bumped into a sandbar and and gets up out of the water thinking he totally fucked the scene up. <laughs> but it just looks so cool they kept it. <laughs> oh yeah, they kept the fuck out of it. It's it's one right. of the it's gotta be one of the sexiest things that's ever happened on screen. Gotta be on some kind of list somewhere. Yeah, they did not uh hold back on showing off his body in this film. Oh, yeah, that was another thing. I saw a lot of comments about how this film really flipped the, the like, the male gaze <laughs> yeah. from yeah. Uh, uh, previous films to a definitely, like, this guy is the meat uh, yeah. in this particular <laughs> movie. Yeah. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're not. Especially in that torture scene, which seemed oddly BDSM. So I'm sure they made a lot of the ladies happy uh, in a number of those scenes. Um, oh, yeah. And last before uh, briefing room, there are some particular effects. I think I'm just going to mention as we bring them up. But this is this movie has almost no CGI. Like uh, there's there's the only CGI in this movie is to erase safety wires uh, in the stunt sequences. Wait, really? Uh-huh. That whole building collapse wasn't CGI? Well, that's, 
that's the other part. That's the other part. Here's that one's funny, and let's 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 mention that one now. That is actually it's a one third scale model. Oh wow! And they used CGI to integrate it into uh, you know the real buildings, uh-huh. and I think and then I think like uh, like all the dust. And, and blah, you know, like the, the particles in the air kind of stuff um, uh, are what makes you look at it and think you're seeing a CGI building. Because there's so much CGI kind of particulate matter going on, like, all around it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, actually, actually a model. A, a one-third wow. scale model. A big one. A big one. That's pretty cool. Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. The opening kind of was like uh, choppy for me, but I did kind of think it was cool that we get to understand the double O status and how you get there. I, I wasn't sure if they were trying to imply the double O's or the two kill requirement, um, but uh, I, I thought it was cool that they like gave us a little bit of origin or I guess explanation of like, Oh, the double O's as in double O seven. And we're assuming there's other double O's. Uh, they have to kill twice and they're expected to like be the elite of the elites or something. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. I mean, I like it the way it plays out here, but right. um, two seems like a two seemed at the time to me, like kind of a low number. Considering mm-hmm. just just how much murder and carnage uh, we've seen James Bond uh, go off and cheerfully wink at and uh, <laughs> make make smarmy comments about in previous films, for sure the thing that I find most memorable about this scene is the uh, you know the conversation they're having and and the guy says you know well don't. Don't worry about it. The second one is, and he shoots him, and he says yes considerably. Clearly, you know, the guy was going to say it's going to be easier. Bond is like, yep, way ahead of you. Uh, right. To me, this was a big signal almost instantly because I I feel like it's a, it's a play on Bond's stupid kill quips mm-hmm. and and we believe we're we're not 100% sure on this but we've said before and i think we believe that it's it's bond who invented those oh the kill quips yeah i oh, mean Schwarz, Schwar- schwarzenegger is you know very well known for them <laughs> yeah <laughs> they become very popular but i think i think it's it's bond that came up with those and i think this was like a nice like intelligent twist on it which uh, both told me like, oh, this movie is going to be smarter than its source material at the same time that it's telling you that it deeply understands its source material. Um, absolutely. Yeah, I thought it was much better. And I thought the kill quips in this were a lot better than previous Bonds. And there weren't a lot of them, you know. There's not uh, There's not a lot of them, and they, they, feel, they feel a lot better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. To Much our, better our, than they'll print anything these days. They'll print anything <sighs> these days. Dude, my I'm still my number one is 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 what was it? Uh not from Russia. It's which one did we do with um Roger? The spy who loved me? 
Right. Uh, where he just he just takes a out of order sign off the bathroom and hangs it over the guy's neck. Like that is just fucking <laughs> <he's> just <laughs> being rude at that point. Right. <laughs> um I think like the point of a kill quip, if it's done well, is you've just been in an incredibly tense situation, literally fighting for your life, and now you've won the combat, you're alive, and something something to break the tension kind of feels good. Right. Kind of feels good. Instead of just like a cool video game sound bite. Like, yeah, I got the kill. hundred points. Right. <laughs> um, was, uh, was not, was not a fan of the song personally. Oh, I actually big... wanted to chat about this. Yeah. I, I had no idea Chris Cornell made a Bond song. It, it was super weird when it came up and then I heard his voice. I was like, is that Chris? I just stopped watching to go double check. And like, usually it's, isn't it like usually a woman singing in the Bond film? Yeah, well, ooh, that's a great trivia question. I, I would say yes. The trivia question would be, was Chris Cornell the first? He might be. Oh, yeah. But yeah, no, I I think I'm with you on this. It, it was cool to like be like, oh, it's Chris Cornell. And then as the song's playing, it's kind of like, what is going on with this song? You know, like, it, yeah, no, I feel you. It was kind of meh. Yeah. Well, I actually, I came to say that uh, after going over this film several times, preparing for this podcast, the song has grown on me. And, and I've finally come around to become a fan, especially I think the You Know My Name refrain uh, is, is really, really good choice. Um, oh, yeah. I, I don't have anything against the song. It just felt weird while the credits are playing and I'm like, this, this is like a little out of place, but I, I guess they needed something jarring to kind of separate this from previous bonds. And that might be why they picked, because I mean, this is obviously a, a more grittier attempt in trying to answer back to the born stuff, you know, and, and a lot of the other like uh, spy films. So that's probably what they were going for. They wanted something more of a grittier feel to it and picked like Cornell from like, you know, the whole, he was from the whole grunge era, era, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Soundgarden. Yeah, yeah. Easily one of the top five greatest rock vocalists of my generation. Absolutely, hundred percent. Um, if you think this is weird, uh, uh, later I'll 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 play you the the song for Spectre, or not Spectre. Uh-huh. It's the next one. Quantum of Solace is uh, Jack White and Alicia Keys. And it's a wrap. I'm not the tricky little gun giving solace to the one that'll never see the sunshine. Another inch of your life sacrifice for your brother in the nick of time. I'm not the dirty how could they do after the Adele song completely like slaughtered the charts? They're gonna do that? That's kind of no, no, no. Uh, Adele comes one film later. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Well, then they, I guess they learned their lesson because sure. yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> Skyfall's that that song like like was what top in charts for months, right? Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't aware, but uh, you know, I believe it Adele ultimately like um super popular for a reason. Uh, Absolutely, I mean, yeah. There's, <laughs> but I remember when that song dropped, and you know, uh, I was going to a, a karaoke place with a mutual friend of ours, and I probably three people sang that song that night, like that that song had dropped, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is going to be big." <laughs> yeah, my favorite, my personal favorite Adele story is uh, I was shopping in Ralph's once, and seriously like a four or five-year-old i'll go with five a little five-year-old in a fucking stroller was singing hello from the other side oh (laughs) that's adorable (laughs) i was just like okay first of all what do you know about it and second of all your mom plays that song in the car a lot doesn't she (laughs) yeah right (laughs) um I got I got the next section packaged packaged into ellipsis. This is kind of like everything up to the poker game. Um, okay. Ellipsis is it's interesting. It 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 seems like it's both a a go code for the mission. Uh, yeah, possibly I, even I think it was like, used as like a, a a dead drop signal once. Like someone got the text and then went and go picked up a package. Like, it was used a number of different ways. The idea here is that Lashif, Mads Mickelson guy with the bloody eye, that uh, is a math genius and uh, likes uh, and banking stuff. He does weird, crazy banking stuff with huge amounts of money. He's taken a bunch of LRA money to fund a massive short of Skyfleet stocks. Skyfleet is a fictional airline in this film. And... He plans to achieve a big windfall by shorting the stock and then bombing their new prototype passenger jet. The first time we see it is when it's texted to Malaka, who is, yeah, no, we can tell from later scenes, like he was supposed to be the bomber. He's the guy who's supposed to bomb the plane. I got my first worst tradecraft here. It's going to be my number three. This guy has an incredibly badly burned face and hands and really stands out. Uh, I think he would be an incredibly terrible choice for any kind of plan that involves not attracting notice in public. To have him being the one planting the bomb is probably a really bad idea. Um, One thing I did like about him was it wasn't him specifically, um, but I I liked uh, M yelling at Bond for killing him. And she's like, we're trying to figure out how a terrorist organization gets funded. You killed one bomb maker out of a jazillion of them in the world. Cause he's, his justification was like, Oh, I killed the bomb maker. Well, you want him to go bomb people now, you know? Uh, and, and, and I, I, I liked that it, it was. And I think she, when she first hears about his mess up, She's just like, you know, in the old days when an agent was this did something this embarrassing, he'd have the decency to defect. <laughs> God, God, I missed the Cold War. Like, that was such a great line. Like, yeah. Um, sorry to do Ray you on that, but uh, it's it, the, the, as, as annoying as a lot of that stuff was at the beginning, I really liked her response to that. Yeah. Um, no, it's a, it's a good point. And uh, I had the same conclusion. I considered... 
this is coming at the end of the scene where it we're we're in the embassy uh and it looks like everyone's got the drop on bond but bond has the bag which is yeah. presumably like what he wants right. um I mean, he had previously, like, yelled at the other agent, like, put your gun away. We want to question him. Um, so I get it that, like, in this final standoff, he's lost the opportunity to question the guy. But I do not see the logic in killing him. Um, like, worst case counterfactual is, like, the guy survives, stays in the embassy for a long time. And he monitors communications. And he's got to come out eventually. Right. You know? He's still, he's, Emma's right on this. He's more valuable alive than dead. Right. Especially now that you have his bomb uh, and his and cell his phone. phone. Yeah. Right. Which uh, I have a point for each of those. Um, why has this guy got the bomb in his bag in Madagascar when the job is in Miami? Um Right. I think the shortest flight. Oh yes, shortest flight I could find is a seventeen-hour flight. <laughs> uh, yeah, minus five points for that. Um, you need to. You you can't you can't have your plan hinge around carrying around this quite obvious bomb uh, right. on a on a international flight, uh, especially after nine eleven. I guess right, he would was... probably make it in Miami. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or hire someone in Miami. You know? Right. <laughs> I guess I mean maybe maybe Malacca is, you know, experienced at this, but for a job in in the Miami airport, I, I think you'd want someone really familiar with the with the area and the airport in particular. As far as the, the phone thing goes, um there's only one message. Now, I mean, one thing I noticed is like Malacca likes to keep it clean. There's only one message in his inbox. So plus five points, he's either using a burner and this phone is for no other purpose except to receive just one message to say ellipsis. That's the go code. Or he is in the habit of just deleting all his messages the instant they're received. Uh, so in that case, but either way, I'll give him minus five points for not deleting this one immediately. All it is, is one word ellipsis. You don't need that in your inbox. Just delete it. No. Yeah. Clearly you're deleting all your other messages. I think he didn't delete it. Cause he spotted a uh, bonds guy that was, had eyes he, on him. he had time though. He had time at first. Well, oh, that's true. Like, yeah. I think the habit should be like, you see the message, you read it, you hit delete, and then you stand up. That's me. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, there is also a message that Malacca has failed to delete in his sent messages. We don't ever get to see the contents of that one, but we do get to see Bond using some tech to figure out that it was sent to a hotel in the Bahamas. And to do that, for that you know, tech trick that he does. He, uh, he needs access to M's laptop, uh, -huh. uh, which he gets by sneaking into her apartment house, hotel room. I'm not entirely a hundred percent clear, I guess house. It looked like a hotel room. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, serious minus five points for M leaving her laptop lying around. Right. And, uh, 
I don't know why she doesn't have like round the clock security personnel. She is the head of MI6, right? Right. Yeah. That that kind of bugged me too. Like that she should have, or it, like if she's that season, she would have been in the field long enough to have security up the wazoo for someone of her caliber. Um. Yeah. Yeah. We're like later the line even- where she's like. Don't don't ever break into my house again or whatever. That was that was kind of a fun line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we're so he, he, somehow like also we're gonna, later going to find out like he's got her username and password. He can even log into uh, any computer apparently in the world as her. So mad minus points for someone. Um, yeah, probably should have made my worst list somehow. I might have slept on that one. Um, And then also, I'm going to mention that she's also got this computer terminal next to her bed where she can just instantly, like, wake up, press one button, and she is just completely fully logged in and seeing super high clearance data. Like, she didn't have to to enter her password or anything. Just press a button, boom. Oh, when she just rolled out of bed and that giant TV pops up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, well, maybe it's, uh, you know, a trigger to her, her, her fingerprint, but still, you, you know, you just send in a specter guy, put a bullet in her head, grab her hand, press the button. Boom. Yeah. No, no, bueno, no, bueno. Right. Um, oh, and then, oh, and oh, this is where, so maybe I'll fold this all in. Cause actually my worst is, is coming up. So I'll, I'll fold all of this bad, M security around her uh, computer logins into my worst number one tradecraft. Um, the last cherry I want to put on top of that pie is that after he leaves, she looks at his at her laptop, and I'm gonna give her the benefit of the doubt that. Well, I mean, I think she can absolutely surmise that he accessed her laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, that. I, I I have to believe that. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt that she plans to let him have a little more rope on this, even though she told him directly to stand down. I I the benefit of the doubt is that like even though I told you to like you know stop doing what you're doing, she's still like at least kind of interested in seeing what he'll do with whatever information he got. But she mm-hmm. still should have had her laptop checked for prints. And just looked in and found out what it was that he accessed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's that all adds up to a big pile of minus five points and my number one worst tradecraft of the movie. And that was Britain. Did we? Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We didn't have a bunch. We didn't have anything to talk about about the big chase scene in Madagascar because that's just all action stuff. So uh, why don't you take us to the Bahamas, which is where Bond is headed next, now that he knows that Malacca had sent a message there. Yeah, he, he arrives, gets out of the car, and he's looking pretty snazzy, but he stops to tie his shoes to get like a look at the place, check out where the cameras are and stuff like that. And uh, some like, you know, rich dude pulls up, gets out of his car, and it's just like, you're going to make me wait, and throws his keys at Bond. Uh, thinking he's the valet, and I, and I guess Bond kind of looks like one. Um, so I uh, Bond, without even missing a beat, is like, "Oh, certainly, sir." 
and just takes the keys. We've seen this before in films, but I kind of liked it. How he's just kind of like not even, you know, thinking, you know, he takes his time to kind of scope out the place, making it look like he's tying his shoe. So I'm like, you know, uh, you know, Dick is just like, ah, don't make me wait here. Uh, peasant, take my car. So he takes the car and parks it and then like crashes it into a bunch of cars so that it like sets off alarms. So I kind of want to give this my number three best trade craft for like not even missing a beat, pretending to be the valet and then setting off the car alarms, which creates a diversion for the, I guess, hotel security. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one thing I did want to say minus spy craft on or trade craft. Why didn't the security see that it was him that took someone's car and then crashed it into a bunch of cars? Cause he just waltzes into the hotel as People are panicking. You see the guy who gave him the car run out panicking and security running out panicking. I'd like to think they'd have eyes on that and know that some, like, where's the other valet? I mean, well, I guess he might have been parking another car. But the security, they, they, obviously there's cameras. So that, that kind of, I wanted to give a little bit of minus spy points for that. Uh, but I, I thought it was cool that he set off a diversion this way. Yeah, I slept on I slept on that idea that they could review that security camera footage. Uh, maybe it doesn't extend to the parking lot, but Bond wouldn't know that, so we can't let him off the hook. Um, oh, right, that's true. Yeah, uh, for that, you know, I mean, even if it's the case that there aren't cameras there, like Bond doesn't know that. Yeah. Um, now he's he's you know what he did previously. You know, like he didn't just take Malaka's phone; he took the SIM out and put it into his own phone. He's checking it again now, and now it shows three handshakes, which, do you know what handshakes are in cell phone terminology? I I'm, I'm not sure what handshakes are. I a little I mean, bit about them in apps, but yeah, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, like an API, like I was just going to bring up the API handshakes. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure that this is accurate, that they call them handshakes, but they could. Uh, but yeah, you brought up like an apps, like with the API thing. It's like... It's a way to like um, uh, validate like something with apps, and that's why they kind of call them handshakes. Uh, but you know, listening to Snowden's whole talk about how information is taken from cell technology, um, there's like timestamps uh, that go through cell towers and through phones, um, and I'm I'm guessing that's what he's talking about. So, like, at this time and this duration with this number, because every phone has, like, a number or an identification of some sort, there were communications going on between cell towers and these areas. So, by handshake, that's just, like, a validated message, I guess. But I'm not 100% sure that that's what you would call what's going on with this. But I think that's what they're talking about is he's able to, like, see those timestamps and then – determine like uh, a area within like a three point, you know, Mm -hmm. communication thing that this is where those handshakes occurred, quote unquote. But I, 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 I I should look this up at some point, but I don't think handshakes is accurate for this, but I might, I might be totally wrong. And there might be a bunch of like techies yelling at me. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Same, same here. Um, And, and there could be slight movie error in that as well. But, uh, you know, if we see when we see the phone now, we see that there's three handshakes where previously there were none. Right. And so it's possible also, I thought that maybe the movie, whether correctly or not, is suggesting that that means that there are um, 
devices nearby now that he's in the Bahamas that have previously like, are, you know, arranged secure communication with him. Um, and, and you're right. Uh, using his uh, Sony Ericsson, which uh, because even though like it was Sony that had to sell back the rights to Casino Royale to MGM by the time this movie had been made, uh, the uh, consortium, which includes Sony and Paramount, had bought MGM outright, uh, you know, owns the film. It's a long way to uh, saying why we see a lot of Sony oh yeah (laughs) in this movie but uh yeah but bond's using a sony ericsson to uh to to go into the metadata for these handshakes and get uh the latitude and longitude coordinates and also the time of them Mm -hmm. um and i'm not sure i i'm guess what i'm guessing is that this is not something just anyone could do with a regular sony ericsson uh, I kind of want to think that maybe this is like a low key uh, spy gadget, not entirely fantastical like the spy gadgets we've seen in the past, but it would make sense to me to have this kind of technology in a phone, even at this time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and then he, uh, so now that he's got that information, he's got the time and location of one of the handshakes. He's, use the distraction to get into the security room and review the camera footage of that moment in time of that location. And he can literally see a man. This is Demetrios uh, receiving a signal from Malacca's cell phone as he steps out of this car. So now he uh, sees what the guy looks like. Yeah. Um, And all in all, this is actually some kind of Jason Bourne type shit that yeah. I really <laughs> like. And I can absolutely say this is the most realistic and interesting and technical tradecraft of any kind that I've ever seen in a Bond film. So I want to give my plus spy points and a little bit of applause uh, for this bit. Um, it's, it's sad we don't get to see more of it, but right. at least at some point somebody said, "Hey, make sure we put some Jason at least one Jason show him doing some Jason Bourne type shit at least once in the movie." <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was good and it's going to go to my uh best number 2. And uh it even gets a little better. So, you know, he knows what the guy looks like, he knows what the guy's car looks like. How does he actually mm-hmm. get a name off the guy? Uh, he, he goes to the, to the hotel staff with this clever little story about feeling really bad about maybe having nicked the door of the guy's car and, uh, you know, wanting to, you know, feeling bad about it and, uh, you know, kind of doing some little bond charisma as well on the lady, but, but really just a nice bit of subterfuge and a, and a clever story to, get the guy's location. So he's gotten, he, you know, the part I'm talking about. I mean, it's not as good as when Jason Bourne, just by the fact that one person took a shot at him in India, like manages to trace all the way back to the specific fucking CIA director that uh, is, is behind it all. But it's, it's a really nice line of play where he's gone from basically one dead guy 
with a cell phone with one fucking text message that's one word in it all the way to having that guy's employer's like location uh physical identity name just fucking everything it's great yeah uh I, I, I really liked the idea behind this, but I, I actually wanted to put a pin on this for my number three worst tradecraft. Um, uh, but like you, I, I loved like the chain that it goes through. And especially when he's like, oh, who had that Ashton Martin? And it's like, oh, that's Mr. Demetrios. You know, like, uh, but one thing that kind of bugged me was the security camera. And this kind of plays into what I was talking about with him crashing the car to set off the alarms. Like he did that to get the security out of the video room. He somehow knows how to get to the video room. Uh, finagles the equipment to find the timestamp to see the guy getting out of the car and check his phone immediately. And I thought that was a little over the top fantastical for me. So this is more of like a, like a worst movie craft attempt at tradecraft type of thing. Like the, the idea is that he figures out the timestamps and narrows it down to this one hotel. And instead of doing other stuff to get more information to find the one guy, it just so happens that the timestamp occurred exactly when the guy was getting out of the car, that the camera that he spotted outside in the valet area was watching. And he was able to be like, Oh, it's that guy. Um, when there could have been possibly a big number of different messages received and people answering their phone or something, especially at a really high class place like this during this time, I'm sure everybody would have had like those old school, like flip phones or something, but it was just, it, it just bugged me that it just so happened to be right in front of the camera. I would have liked to see a little bit more trying to f- narrow down who received the message at that time. Um, but uh, I'm I'm still with you that the the whole chain of events was great. So I, I like you spotting it as like a plus five points. But I just wanted to kind of have a little bone to pick with with how perfectly I feel you. I feel you. Those, you, yeah. you make you make you make some great points um, for sure on that. There was actually a few of those too. It seemed like a lot of the film just kind of gave things to Bond. Like you know, in the chase at the airport when he's stopping the bombing. You know, things just happen to work out for him. Like the 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 truck spins around so he can jump on the ladder right in time. You know, uh, he notices the thing and is able to grab the bomb and put it on the back of the guy's belt while it's like driving straight through these cars and about to hit the plane. You know, and uh, I don't know. There was a few things that really were like, like, well, in the, the poker game, he just happens to get a straight flush to win. Yeah, right. You know? That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're right. so he's got demetrius in his sights puts him under surveillance um joins a poker game with him and correctly marks his relationship with his wife as being problematic plus spy points uh and you know very bond kind of thing to do um (laughs) little minus spy points here uh, after Malacca's death at the embassy back in Madagascar, Bond's face was all over the news. But on meeting him, Demetrios doesn't recognize him as the guy that killed. Like, like he should have this news that his guy, and you know, he should have this news that 
his man was killed. He should be interested in that. If he's interested in that, all he needs to do is turn on the television, right? Oh, that's right. There was in the headlines, MI6H. Oh, my God, I didn't even think about that. Oh, that should have made my worst tradecraft. Oh, shit. No, that's... That, oh, I didn't, oh, that's a good catch. That is so annoying. It was all over the news. If you're yeah, anybody at a level like Demetrius and your boy is killed... I want to see the guy that killed him. Oh my god! Yeah, and we didn't. We didn't. Uh, men- I'll go. I'll run back in time too to mention really quick that the news headlines are that MI6 agent kills, you know, blah 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 guy. Um, how did they know it was MI6? Yeah, that that was something that I was like, what? And I just kind of wrote it off. I was like, whatever. But okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, in this in this poker game. Um, you know, like, well, you know, well, he wins Demetrios's car uh, when Demetrios goes, you know, just full. I don't know. What is there a term for like what? What's the term for when you're gambling and you're just like overextending? You're just. Well, oh, well, in poker, if you're talking about his state of mind, he was on tilt. That's what that called. Tilt. He, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly the word I'm looking for. I know that. No, we use that term in uh, competitive video games a lot. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, the, the idea is he had already been losing and there's a concept in poker. That's actually like a deep psychological issue um, where you've gotten to a point where you've dug yourself down from losing so much. You can't even think clearly. And poker, right. poker is a game that you can't make mistakes. It's like whoever makes the least mistakes wins. It's kind of mm-hmm. like darts or bowling. Like you're supposed to play perfectly. Right. So there's a point where, and this happens to pros, it happens to amateurs, it happens to anybody. You get so disillusioned from losing or just getting crushed that you can't think clearly. And that's that. If that's what you're looking, the word you, that's the word you're looking for is tilt. Right. So the fact that the guy tilts into throwing the keys, uh, you know, basically throwing his car into the pot, uh, which you're never that's... allowed to do, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, they they made some hand wavy motions toward that. Yeah. You know, the dealer at least at least kind of raised some objections. Um, but uh, yeah. Oh wait, really quick. Uh, the the woman that taught me how to play pool had been <clears throat> uh, banned from the pool hall for winning a car. Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> I don't. E- I don't even remember her name, but uh, she gave me a lot of good lessons. Um, so, I mean, once the car is in the pot, okay, that was obviously something Bond didn't plan. Is winning that pot a good idea, tradecraft wise? I think not. Um, you're just gonna uh, piss the guy off more. He's gonna right. You, you don't want his attention on you. You don't want right. him to have a grudge against you. I say lose that hand. That's not a bad point. Um, but I was more irritated that the that bet wouldn't be stand. Even if you were, even if Bond and him were like, no, it's okay. We could take the bet. The 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 casino or dealer would never be able to say like the guy would have to have said, okay, yeah, you can have my car. It, it, that like the dealer or the the house would never 
say, yeah, that bet stands. Also, it reminded me of those old survival insurance commercials. I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember the survival insurance? Tell me. Oh, yeah, there's, there's like these commercials where like something happens and then there's like a car comes into it and it's like, oh, is it insured? by survival you know there's like a poker game some guys like it's this exact scene and some guy wants to cover a bet and he just throws out his car key and it's like it's a mercedes or something it's like is it insured yeah by survival no i can't take that bet like it had so much much of that vibe but it just bugged the crap out of me that like even though the dealer raised the objections and Bond's like, no, whatever, we'll let the bet stand. Like, you can't – it doesn't th- – there's no casino in the world that would have acknowledged that bet. Like, the Demetrius would have had to been, like, a gentleman's bet, like, mm-hmm. and acknowledge yeah, right, right, right. that he lost. You know what I mean? And with this irritated and angry – well, I don't know. If he's, like, a really well-off dude, he probably doesn't give a shit, and he's just more irritated that he lost. I, I don't know. That's what bugged me the most. But you did bring a good point up that why piss him off more and just lose the hand to him, which is something that they do in poker is you lose a little bit of money to someone so that they start playing looser. Well, yeah, also, too, just, just as yeah. a spy playing poker, generally speaking, I feel like I want I would rather lose more money to my target than, than win. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Because they'll probably want to keep you around because they know they can make money off of you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, everyone everyone loves a sucker. And if you're looking yeah. around the table and you don't know who it is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but again, with the happy accidents that Bond is, is prone to falling into, he uh, leverages having access to the car to, uh, you know, I guess a meet cute with the wife. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a, a good interrogation, uh, I thought, you know, like I, he didn't, um, you know, squeezing out the information from her as they're doing their mm, uh, foreplay was, yeah. was, good, was, was good stuff. It was, it was appropriately subtle. It got the job done, uh, didn't raise any alarms. Uh, and now he knows where Demetrius is going, which is Miami. Miami is where the plane needs to be blown up. Um, quick note, it's not tradecraft related, but uh, big airlines don't unveil their prototypes at international airports. They, yeah, they, I would hope they not. Do it, yeah, they, they do it at their factories. <laughs> right. Um, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. So uh, I guess yeah. So Demetrios is he needs to he needs to supply his new guy, which is Carlos, uh, with the materials he needs to do the job. That's going to be another bomb. This time it's a little keychain bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, why you know if this was well maybe the plan has changed. Maybe the original Malacca bomb was supposed to be planted on an aircraft engine. This one's maybe just supposed to be placed on a fuel truck, which is what Carlos, you know, does. A uh, couple mm-hmm. notes on that. I don't think, I don't believe that any explosive device you could fit in that little keychain uh, is going to detonate a fuel truck. Right. And I also it does, have, it's just going to start a fire. It's yeah. Not, it's not going to explode 
especially since like there was gasoline pouring out of the truck, it's not going to explode, right? It probably would just start a fire. That's that's yeah, that's what I would think. Um, also, we have no idea how uh, Demetrios got that bomb through security. Uh, but even before they go to the airport, uh, they're stopping by at, uh, you know, the, the contact place isn't at the airport or no. So it's not a question of how Demetrios got it into the airport. It's going to be a question of how Carlos got it into the airport because, um, there's an art exhibit where, uh, Demetrios puts the necessaries into coat check and he puts the bag check ticket on the poker table. Um, we can assume, okay, again, like even if Demetrios had never seen Bond on the television, uh, Lashif definitely should have known about it. And and they had a meeting, so he should have been able to describe what Bond looked like. Um, n- noticing, okay, so now he does, right, okay, right. So now he does know who Bond is, right? So that's weird, because he goes after him with a knife. In public. Well, uh, that whole thing at the museum or the art exhibit with the muscles and stuff, um, mm-hmm. he picked up on Bond tailing him. And he obviously okay. remembers him from the poker game, you know, because he just lost. Oh, right. Oh, right. Well, you would remember yeah. him from that for sure. And and definitely be like, why the fuck are you in Miami? Right. <laughs> I just saw you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, like earlier today, even. Um, right. But uh, you know, Bond switches the the tables on him, kills him. Now he's got his cell phone, and he sees that the bag has been picked up. Uh, running outside, he makes a a call to the last number that Demetrios had sent the ellipsis message to, and he can see Carlos pick up the call plus five points. Don't you think? Yeah, you're looking at a big absolutely. crowd of people. You you have no idea who you're looking for. Right. You make you make that call. It's a good one. Absolutely. Um, so Bond can now trail Carlos through security, and as far as like picking up a tail, uh, Carlos uses the I think tried and true method for spy checking, which is the old sunglass hut trick. Where you oh, yeah. <laughs> I love seeing that because it's pretty useful. Like the whole the whole mirrors thing. Yeah, I had a note about that. Right. So I want to give plus spy points for Carlos for spy checking. After all, he did just receive a call with nobody answering on the other end. Right. Uh, but uh, minus spy points for Bond for falling for this age-old trick. Yeah. Like he's he's literally like clueless. In right. this. Um, so the bag's got a security outfit for Carlos. Um, but where is the bomb? I don't know. I guess it was in the bag as well. Uh, how does he... Maybe this is how he got the bomb through. No, he went through security. So, yeah, I still have no idea how they got the bomb through security. Um, flag it. Moving on. Uh, and he and he goes through this little side door dressed as a security guy. It's only now that Bond decides to let M know uh, that something's going on. I give this minus spy points. He had many reasons 
to let them know what was going on, like like all along this path. Like, and you right know, my now. favorite rule is you need a team. Yeah. 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 Um, out in the halls, Carlos triggers a fire alarm to distract and, uh, you know, he's also just, he's using the fire alarm to distract security personnel out so that he can get into their lockers and, uh, grab a firearm. Um, we have a big action scene and then, uh, unless you had anything, I was going to have some notes on the action scene, little brief ones, but just up until now, do you have any other tradecraft notes to throw out? For this one, no, I think you hit them out. Um, I, I liked Bond figuring out ellipses being the code. You like that? I, I didn't like that. I thought that. That's I, don't, just... I, don't, I don't like that it was the code. I think it's a bad idea, but I like him thinking about it. Uh, but other than that, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I didn't care yeah, for with, a lot of yeah, the, with, the Miami. <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with you on that. So, uh in the action scene, uh, uh, again, not to dwell too hard on great effects, but this is a really good one. There's a car, there's a police car that gets completely blown, like, off the road and into the air by a aircraft exhaust as the jet is landing. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you remember this bit? It's a no. good one. It's a good one. But uh, in these days, you would do that in with uh cgi but uh they were committed to not using cgi except when absolutely necessary and they they actually did this by uh yanking the 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 car up like suddenly with this huge crane and then just uh cgiing out the the cable uh it's a really incredibly good practical effect um there's another one coming up later in the film that uh made it into the world book guinness world book of records can you guess what that one was the car flip oh fuck yeah that Uh, was really cool like at near after casino right yeah when 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 they leave uh homegirl in the middle of the street and he has to swerve and then the car flips all over yeah that was cool i yeah uh, i think it's a i think it's a full seven barrel rolls and, wow. uh, and, and that's the, that's, that's the world record and check this out. Uh, they, they destroyed three cars doing that. Oh, those expensive cars. Uh, or do you think they, they were... had like a stunt car? <laughs> Hold on. No. <laughs> yeah. You would think so. Right. That would yeah. be the smart way to do it. No, let me find this. Let me find this. Uh, I think each, let's see. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Uh, poker stuff, poker stuff, poison stuff. Okay. Yeah. Most barrel rolls, um, they did it with an air powered cannon behind the driver's seat, completed seven full rolls in one afternoon's shooting three prototype Aston Martin's cars valued at $300,000 each. Oh my God! That is that is a one million dollar effect right there, wow. and every penny of it is on screen. I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth it because uh, that that of of all you know, I'm not really much into crazy explosions, but I liked that shot a lot, and watching that oh. car just like 
keep going and like him having to swerve. I don't know why the hell they put her in the middle of the road, but whatever. Uh, we're gonna I, get. I, we're I, gonna get to that. We're gonna okay. get to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I have notes on that for sure. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then we get okay action scene Miami blah blah blah. Uh, I could say Carlos, like he, he should have tried to find a fuel truck that was closer to the target, you know, oh. instead of instead of one on the opposite side of the airport, so that you know we had all this time to drive at high speeds and have police cars and planes and blah blah blah. But it makes for fun stuff. It's fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna end Miami with uh, my number two worst tradecraft. Uh, it's after all this that M tells Bond that they have files on Lashif and knowledge of his movements, and they know about the poker game in Montenegro. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this means that we could have skipped the entire first hour of the movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it would have been, it would have, well, no, not the entire first hour, because you do need to stop the bombing from happening. But... Also, well, like they might not know, have like, had the connection with him and the LRA, and maybe all of that made the connection. Then they have to go stop the bombing, and they—I mean, they've obviously had. You're saying like they had a file on him, so why not just go after him? They—they they might not have had the connection of him with the LRA yet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. They—they they just. They seem to know a lot more about him than than they should, I think. Maybe, oh, it's, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. It's, maybe it's not my best call that I've ever made on this podcast, but I'll stand on it. Number two worst. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is an entire section of the movie. We're all the way, like, halfway through into uh, Montenegro, which is where the poker scene scenes occur, as well as some other stuff. Um uh, what's her name that's playing Vesper is second build in this movie, but doesn't appear until 50 minutes into the film. Um, how'd you like their chemistry? Uh, you, you always bring up the meat cute and this is, I guess their meat cute. Um, I, I liked their, their psychological battle or their therapy battle where they're like analyzing each other's like personality. That was kind of cute. Um, uh, I, I think it was a little overdone making her be like this, like, yeah, you're hot stuff. I don't like you. And him being like a snarky, you know, uh, James Bond. Um, but I, I I liked watching their relationship grow. I, I think the relationship in this was much more well-developed than in previous Bond films, but I didn't like how over-exaggerated some things were. And and this is one of them where she is like one of those like, ha ha, I'm, I'm in charge of the purse. So you don't get any money. Let me see. Are you even worth our investment? Like, like I, I liked that they made that a point, but I think they like overdid her. I, I don't even know what you would describe that personality type. Like she, she, She's not giving him any slack or something. Right, right. Yeah. Little 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 hard nosed, little right. little bit of hard nosed. Uh, I, yeah. I can I can give better than you can take. Yeah, right, yeah, um, yeah, that type of thing. Which uh yeah, I I agree. Uh it's 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 nice character development. 
we do we do enjoy the heat uh between them uh even though it's like a cold heat here we can all see where it's gonna go eventually um i'll just throw out you know minus five points for like if you truly have gotten into someone's head and you know all this shit about them fucking keep it to yourself oh right yeah use it against them later like, well, that's our number you, one rule here on Spies Like Us podcast. It's one of our <laughs> big rules, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here's another. Here's another rule. <laughs> uh, we've, and we're not the only ones. They're frequently commented on the James uh, Bond, James Bond thing being like really stupid, and oh um, yeah. <laughs> Like from the very first movie, it seems like they just handcuffed themselves to that uh, in a way that that never felt good to me. Um, Bond registers as James Bond at the Montenegro Hotel, uh, even though he's supposed to be like, you know, I mean, he's got a cover, too. You know, like there was another guy that, you know, he, he could sign in as. And what I what I like what I like about it is that in the dialogue between him and Vesper, like he explains his decision to, you know, be James Bond. Like on paper, anyone can know that I am James Bond. Right. Um, it's it's minus spy points, but at least like it's minus spy points, but it's plus movie points for the film understanding that this is stupid and that these stupidities of old bond films need to be taken out and re-examined he's giving her like a reason that he's doing it he's doing it to let lashif know that he's not scared of him and and he's also mentioning you know that like lashif would know anyways so it's it's not an issue and so I've learned something about him and she correctly points out, well, now he's learned something about you too, which is that you're reckless. Right. <laughs> so yeah, keep, you know, uh, they, they, they rein it back a little, but it's still that whole bond, James Bond kind of stuff. Oh, uh, I wanted to mention too, like he doesn't use that iconic line until the end of the movie. They kind of yeah, it was like the it. last line of the movie. Yeah, it's the last. It's the last line of the movie, and it's also that goes straight into the first time they use the classic dun 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 dun. dun, dun, oh, yeah. dun <laughs> you know, they stayed away from it for this entire movie. Saved it for the end credits. Applause uh, yeah. for them for doing that. Um, they're going to meet their contact Mathis and I get a little confused by this guy and I want to have a little discussion with you about him. Um, because we're going to get some, I mean, he, he, I mean, he's looks like a great guy, looks like a good guy. Um, I know in advance having recently watched the follow-up film quantum of solace that he definitely is on team good guy, but this film gives us a bunch of reasons to think that he might've actually been a werewolf, which I couldn't decide even after 
my best examination, I couldn't decide based on what the movie gives me. I couldn't decide whether or not this was justified. Did you have any thoughts on Mathis? Do you think he? Um, I'm a little confused as to like why he was their contact or why he's, he's even in the movie other than to create confusion. Cause like all he really did for most of the movie other than like maybe setting up a couple in, I guess, introductions or something, but like he kept commenting on the poker game, like annoyingly commenting on the poker game. Like, uh, yeah. Just explaining stuff to the audience. Yeah. And, and I'm not really sure what it is he does or, and so to, to answer the question of whether or not I think he's team good guy or bad guy is kind of confusing, especially when Lashif later says, well, Mr. Bond, it seems like your friend Mathis is really my friend Mathis. You know, when it, I, I don't, I don't, right. I don't and understand it's, it's, what the point of that was. You know, Vesper, uh, you know, after winning the poker game, uh, which we're going to get to, it's, you know, she excuses herself, says, I need to go talk to Mathis. A couple beats later, he says, you know, he does, Bond does some thinking in his head and says, <gasps> Mathis. And <laughs> runs after her. And I don't understand his calculation. I don't understand what information he's basing this on. I don't understand what Mathis would have ever gotten out of betraying Vesper. Right. Or helping Spectre pretend because uh, unwillingly Vesper is on Team Spectre. Uh-huh. So I also don't understand how Mathis profits or is involved in helping Spectre preserve this illusion that Spectre kidnapped. It's just a bunch of like, it's even in the, in the, um, okay. And then there's the other thing too, where um, later in the film, Bond is going to get fucked up and kind of wake up in a, let's say a hospital kind of setting and he's going to be talking to Mathis. Mathis is going to suddenly be approached by two MI6 people who taser him and drag him away. I never understood when Bond would have had the uh, opportunity to communicate with MI6 and say Mathis is bad. And then finally in Quantum of Solace, they meet each other again and it's clear from their dialogue. They both feel like each of them needs to apologize to the other, but that to me doesn't make any sense. Like either Mathis was dirty in which case bond doesn't have any reason to apologize and also no reason to trust Mathis or Mathis was clean in which case Mathis doesn't have any reason to apologize. Right. (laughs) I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it. It, it, it was really, it bothered me and I went back and watched the movie again and I still don't understand what his purpose is. Yeah. Like I don't think it's even in the movie. Yeah. I don't think it's there. I don't think it's there. I think, uh, I, you know, it's one of those things I eventually just said, you know, after examining it as closely as possible, I just decided like, I think the movie just kind of dropped the ball here. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is, though, one really cool move that Mathis does, at least yeah. while he's playing on Team Villager, 
You want to tell us about that one? Yeah. Um, when they first initially made contact with him, um, he's sitting there talking about that they have to be careful because uh, basically the police is bought out. Um, and he's like, by the way, the chief of police is sitting right behind me. And you just got this like flashy dude in sunglasses with two chicks in his arms, you know, at a like really nice restaurant, like, ha ha, I'm so awesome. You know, and uh-huh. he's talking about, yeah, he's talking about, I wish we had the funds to like buy him off, but he's way too expensive. Then all of a sudden a bunch of police cars show up and uh, get out and start going over them. And he's like, but what I did was provide evidence that we are bribing the chief to his deputy. Um, which, which I thought was kind of a cool move. If, if the head of a department who has all of the control of the department is, is, you know, bought out the deputy would, or even if it wasn't the deputy, maybe the deputy's bought out too, but someone under that finding like, you know, a, a true believer, like a real, you know, a guy that's trying to do the right thing and then provide evidence there's always someone in an organization that's like the true believer. You know what I mean? That um, the, the I don't think the, it. Ha- I don't think it even has to be a true believer. And I think in any corrupt organization, you can always find one guy who sees an opportunity to move up to the top of the food chain. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, that's a really yeah. So then he could be the chief, and then he'll be getting all that money. Oh, that's a really good point. I didn't think. Yeah, no, that's a good. But anyway, the. Point being, uh, there's this whole masquerade with the police picking up on the chief of police to kind of pull heat off of them and demonstrating to Bond uh, that, hey, you could trust me. I'm working on I'm on your team. And I, I thought it was a good way to kind of do that. And I think that made both of our best tradecraft list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a uh, best number three for me. And it looks like a uh, best number two for you. Yes, I, I thought it was really clever. Right. And it doesn't only establish trust, like it Mm -hmm. it establishes value. Like I'm a valuable person. Yeah, absolutely. Like you you didn't pick the wrong contact. I'm I'm the guy. Yeah. And and we're going to see in Quantum of Solace too some more evidence that that Mathis has been in the game for a lot longer than Bond. He's kind of a he's kind of a, you know, he's one of these old guys that like remembers the wilderness of mirrors of the cold war kind of stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then, um, you know, we're, we're just uh, trying to tag out some tradecraft stuff in Montenegro. Uh, and then I want to talk about poker for a bit, but before we do that, the other, the other thing I wanted to talk about was this, uh, during a break in the poker game, Lashif leaves his inhaler on the table, which it's also interesting, like, uh, this is, hmm, this might be the first time the, the villain had two, like, usually Bond villains have one very distinctive physical flaw mm-hmm. um, of some kind. Uh, in here, he's got two. He's He, he needs this inhaler, um, which during a break, he leaves it on the table, which seems like minus spy points for me. Yeah. It made my number one worst tradecraft. Um, Bond takes this, and this is another one of the bones that just the the movie universe just throws at Bond. Uh, Bond's given like a little bug, recording bug, to, and he slips it in the guy's inhaler. But if your life depends on this inhaler, 
because he he uses it quite a bit. It's well established that he needs it regularly, and he's using it like several times during the poker game. You're not gonna just leave it at the table. You know, I don't I don't buy this at all. So this made my number one worst trade craft. Not only is the the chief like a, a sophisticated villain that's like very powerful and connected and is probably like seen his fair share of like double crosses and stuff. You know, later we find out that he's gonna poison Bond. I'm not leaving my inhaler on the table. And also, like it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, even though the table has disbanded, it's still a pretty crowded room. I don't see how uh, Bond could could plant this little thing uh, without being observed. And the I only think the thing- only thing they tried to make up for that was Mathis comes and talks to him. Okay, and I guess that's kind of his cover, keeping eyes on the room. But it's still, you're right. It's like this isn't like. Somebody's going to notice that you stand in there with someone else's inhaler that everyone has been seeing the guy using since everybody's watching this poker game, right? What makes it more egregious, in my opinion, is that, like, it doesn't have any payoff. Like, it's a bad setup that's full of flaws that, like, the only payoff seems to be that, like, uh, Bond can use it as a tracking device to figure out which room Lashif is staying in which is stupid. Like, I, I really think that information could have been gained by much more clever means, you know, right. like do a, do a Bahamas and the Demetrios trick kind of clever stuff. Again. You know, yeah. this was just, this is just there to, I don't know, look bondy. And all he does is get to the room and see that he's about to be killed. So Bond shows up to, I don't know, he doesn't even do anything with that. Like he gets to the room and he hears that there's like a fight going on, so he goes and he hides and is trying to listen. Then the or the LRA guys see him and they go after him because they spot his like earpiece in his ear. The whole thing bothered me. I'm think I I feel like going back like you know assuming it's got a listening device capability too. I you know there's there's again like no payoff like and tracking device like okay so even after like montenegro like uh you know or outside after the poker game like it should be transmitting i don't know to mi6 to your backup team to something you know or you should be able to listen in they mi6 should be able to now listen in on you know lashif torturing bond or or something but i i actually not even sure if the inhaler even shows up in the film after this so yeah yeah it's not i i don't want to spend that much time on it it's such a tiny detail but but you're right it's just it's just dumb yeah (laughs) it's a good way to explain it (laughs) let's talk about some poker if i didn't know anything about poker maybe maybe this little bit of hand holding would have been okay but it's it's the hand holding it's very hard to tolerate if if you've ever played even one game. Even like I'm trying to picture someone that's never played poker and I'm trying to think of the things that I would make sure that they need to know. And the amount of like exposition that's thrown into the audience's face, like I would think would be annoying for someone that's never played poker. And and it didn't really help. You know what I mean? Um, they didn't actually teach them 
the game and they didn't even really teach them the stakes. And it, like I was saying with Mathis, Mathis is standing on the sidelines next to Vesper, who is the person controlling the wallet, who's an accountant. And all he's doing to help her understand the game is tell her how much money is in the pot, which I'm sure for any woman who is an accountant, not just an accountant, but like an accountant for a large firm that's loaning what 10 and possibly $15 million for MI6 to have some guy explain to her how much money is in the pot, I would think would be offended. Like she, she should be the one telling him how much money is in the pot, <laughs> you know? And it's not like he's teaching her, but like if, if she didn't know poker and he's like teaching her how the game works, that's not what he's doing. He's just telling her how much money is in the pot. So he's letting her know what the stakes are. She's a fucking accountant. She knows how the word count is in the word. She knows how to count and see, oh, these chips have this value. These people are betting this much. They're saying, I bet $5 million. But it's that type of hand-holding that I'm talking about. Like, the hand-holding isn't helping the audience. I think that poker is very hard, like, uh, to dramatize through the medium of film. I, I really okay. do. Um, okay. Like, the the kind of, like, they, they talk a lot here about bluffing, but really, like... And there was no bluffing. 90%. Nobody bluffed. Right. Is is 90 okay, if you want to say 100%, it's it's there's no bluffing cuz actually bluffing is kind of boring. Like like success and and it's also something I've been told is like very uh over overemphasized in in yeah. media. Um Absolutely. although it's an important technique, but it's it's what you do when you have a bad hand, not when you have a good hand. And this is just like, this is just fucking brinksmanship. You know, this is just uh, playing chicken with each other, driving at each other with increasingly high pots and seeing who's going to blink. And at the end of the day, it just comes down to who had the best cards, which especially in the big, like, you know, final, like win of bond, like, he didn't win by being super fucking clever. He won by having the best, almost the best imaginable hand in the universe. Yeah. You know, you're trying to buy the pot. Or, like, I want to mm-hmm. see in a movie where they play a poker game and somebody has, like, a shit hand and and either bluffs their way or is, like, able to control or, like, limit the betting by how they're betting so that right. someone with a better right. hand but, isn't betting bigger than you. So that right. you but catch. that looks so, that looks so bad on film. Like it doesn't give you that like, wah moment. Like <laughs> it's, it's boring. Like the best moves you can make in poker are like, like cinematically kind of boring. I think. Um, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. And, and, you know, a lot of this type of poker stuff bleeds in us to tradecraft. So I'm, I'm going to name this my number one best tradecraft of the film. Uh, Le Chief, basically, uh, it, it, um, so anybody that knows anything about poker, you've probably heard of tells, where it's like some little idiosyncrasy someone has that gives away information they don't want you to know. Like you, you scratch your head or rub your hands together, you play with your chips or something. The chief is like touching his temple and like, like really thinking and stuff. And so Bond picks up on this and uh, realizes, oh, when he does that, he's bluffing. 
Um, however, very, 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 very skilled professional poker players uh, do what's called like forcing a tell. If you know anything mm -hmm. about magic, it's called forcing cards. So like if somebody says pick a card, any card, sometimes you could pick a random card, but a lot of card tricks involve giving you the card that the magician wants you to have. Right. And yeah, yeah. That's what Lashif is doing right now. He's pretending to have a tell so that Bond is going to bank on the tell. And so oh. Bond thinks it's when he bluffs. Right. And this is how a lot of professional, like really big professional poker players make a lot of money is they'll have a fake tell for someone and then someone thinks it's their their real tell then put a bunch of money in the pot thinking they're bluffing or something right. and and now now when i've got you putting all this money in the pot oh look i just woke up with four fucking jacks which is exactly what happens and, and it was beautiful and and i yeah so that was my number one best trade craft before we move off uh poker is uh uh, can you name your best poker movie? Probably Rounders, but yeah, even then, there's some. Go. Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's also there's some, some jank in Rounders stuff. as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. But uh, but yeah, Rounders, Rounders for sure. Yeah. Um, there's there's going to be a part, uh, you know, when I I guess uh, because Lashif, I'm I'm not, I wasn't even sure. Did Lashif really feel threatened enough to? Uh, think that he needed to make this play to uh, poison Bond? Well, I think uh, he saw the bodies planted in that dude's car, and it was one of Lashifa's guy. So I think he placed, put the information together. Also, he says later that Mathis is his friend and not Bond's friend. So he might have picked up on, oh, I think Bond is involved in something outside of this game, and I got to get him out of the picture so I can win this money and give it to terrorists. <laughs> okay so he makes the decision to uh poison bond um did you want to talk about how he how he went about it or yeah I mean so bond's been ordering the the you know staple martini that bond has to order um and he's been doing it a lot the night like, it's probably his fourth or fifth one he's ordered and uh Lashif has his wife i guess or girlfriend or whatever uh, go up to the bar where they're picking up the drinks and she drops some poison into Bond's martini. Um, I wanted to mark this as my number two worst trade craft. Uh, Bond should be keeping tabs on where his drinks are coming from. Like maybe go up and get the drink yourself. Maybe ask Vesper to get it for you since you want her to look nice in front of everybody and like, uh, you know, draw, I don't know, but, I, I wanted to say that that was a really, really bad play on Bond, like even being able to get poisoned. Um, but uh, after he realizes he's poisoned, he runs to like a table, grabs a glass oh, and wait. a salt shaker. Oh, really? Hold on, hold oh. on. I wanted oh, okay. to tag on to uh, this being your worst tradecraft, that he allows himself to be poisoned in the first place by saying that after the game, after winning, after being poisoned, after very close to dying right he shows absolutely no hesitation in continuing to eat the hotel food and drink <laughs> the same fucking drink minus five points <laughs> absolutely like it's, it's it's a fool me once shame on shame on you kind of situation yeah i think yeah but fool yeah me go can't ahead. get fooled again uh, <laughs> well apparently bond can 
Like, yeah. if, if someone still <laughs> wanted to poison him, like, go for yeah. it, dude. He's still he's still at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, once he is poisoned, uh, what do you got on that? So um, I looked up this salt thing. Um, what he does is grab a salt shaker and like a whiskey glass, runs to the bathroom and dumps the entire shaker in water to, I guess, induce throwing up. And from mm-hmm. what I understand, this works. Um, but I, I guess it wouldn't have saved him. And because he's got that uh, chip in his body, uh, MI6 is able to pick up on that he's going through cardiac arrest and that he's been poisoned or whatever. So he runs to – they tell him to run to the car and get like – uh, a defibrillator and they have shots for him and stuff. And they're going through this whole thing. Um, and uh, I guess the defibrillator is unplugged. So he almost dies, but Vesper shows up and saves his life with the defibrillator. Um, and yeah, that was, I mean, like it was cool to watch, but that's a lot. Um, but it was, it was nice that she saves him. And like, you know, they made a point that like, she has that line. Every time you wake up, it, it, it you look like you haven't seen me in years. And so I, I, I like, I like how they set up how many times he's waking up to her and just sees her as like the most gorgeous thing ever or something. It was nice, but it was a little much going through that whole, the, the bajillion steps and stuff, but whatever, I guess you need something in a film like this. Yeah. Um, I had a, I had a girlfriend that was a nurse, uh, for, for like, some time and i'll tell you like uh watching watching movies with a nurse girlfriend you learn a lot about bullshit in movies <laughs> now that was a long time ago but um but yeah the the you know the heart medication it's digitalis that he's poisoned with mm-hmm. it's a heart medication drug it can kill in overdose um what it does though it 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 uh let's see it's uh arrhythmia like instead of all four of your heart's ventricles beating at the same rhythm one of them starts beating really fast and so they're they're out of sync kind of thing um i will leave it to the sufficiently curious to do their own uh you can just check it on imdb or whatever uh but the the fact that his heartbeat was slowing as he's about to die, that's not right. Like his heartbeat should be just erratic. That's what we. Oh, uh, okay. Um, okay. But uh, yeah. Um, and then oh yeah, the the fact that they could get all his current medical data by like he's got a gadget. He gets to the car. He stabs his locator. He stabs that locator they put in his left wrist uh, with something, and that is able to send like all of mi6 like all of his current medical data like that's that's definitely fantastic and i'll call minus five points on that this kind of bugged me like was it ronin where just like an entirely new movie started they they you know he wins the game you know um and and he gets the money and then you know as every bond girl falls in love and then they go on like this vacation and he's like i'm gonna leave you know, uh, MI6 and let's, let's start over and have like a normal life and stuff. And now this whole other movie starts and it was like 45 minutes. Like I remember seeing and checking the time and it was like 45 minutes left of the movie. And I was like, what, what is going to happen here? (laughs) So, so now, now an entirely new movie starts. Yeah. 
So this last section, I kind of have uh, uh, flagged in notes as the betrayal for some random reason that is mysterious to us is the fact that she mentions she's going to meet Mathis triggers him to follow her, see that she's been abducted. He's going to go on a car chase. We have the big, like, and then all of a sudden she's tied up in the middle of the road. Uh, I imagine that like, regardless of her plan, which is a lot of what I need to talk about in this section, uh, I don't believe that she signed on to this part of it. <laughs> yeah. The idea here is that Vesper has been working, again, under duress for Spectre the entire time. So I'm giving her plus spy points and my number one best for just maintaining the fiction uh, the entire time. Um, what bank account is the winnings going to be deposited into? Earlier in the game, we saw Bond put in the password, but we didn't see anyone put in an account number. So theory number one is that anyone with the password could then put in any bank account number, and that's where the funds would go. Theory number two is that she had to put in the bank account number first, and then later that bank account number still needs to match whatever she put in. Let's talk about theory one real quick or uh, at at length. Um, If all you need is the password, you don't need her. You just need bond. I mean, you could still have her uh, screaming and kicking and, and have her have him hear that from the next room as leverage. Mm -hmm. There's also this thing about like, some at some point okay so this is uh again theory one where they don't need her they don't need the account number at some point she apparently made a deal with specter in mr white uh to spare bond's life when did she have the opportunity to do that when first did she have the motivation to do that second when did she have the opportunity I don't think she has the motivation to do that until basically like, you know, they're, they're, we're in love now scene in the hotel and then she's immediately abducted. She has no opportunity to communicate with Mr. White. So I think that makes no sense. I think she has a motivation to, she's been spending time with them and he's warming up or she's warming up to him. And, 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 like, the sexual tension's obviously there. So I think, you know, even though she has this boyfriend that's been abducted or whatever, she's still kind of falling for Bond. So I, I believe that, hey, if I get you the money, you, you got to not kill Bond. Um, but that does beg the question, when Bond's being tortured and she's screaming, was she pretending to scream? Like, was that part of the plan? And and I guess Mathis was working with Lashif at that point. So maybe, maybe the yeah, whole thing. In that in that timeline of of logic, I think it does have to work that she has to be screaming as part of her agreed upon cover. So I guess like it it, boun- it bounces the ping pong ball a lot of ways. Let's say, like you say, like um, 
you know, she's always been in Spectre's pocket. We know that. She's not really in Lashif's pocket. Um, so at some point during the poker game, even before Bond has won, she's made an agreement with Spectre, like, hey, I'm gonna guarantee you'll get the money, but uh don't kill Bond. And for some reason they say okay, which is also kind of weird. Um and so she agrees, like, uh, if anything happens to me, I'll still play along as if I'm Le Chief's toy. I, I don't know. I'm getting lost here. Yeah, it, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's this whole other mess that starts off at the end of the movie that I don't think was very well explained and just gave us a reason to blow up a building. <laughs> right and and there's no way that she signed up for this whole like you know yeah and then the plan will be you guys will tie me up and gag me and put me in the middle of the road where i might get fucking slaughtered by an aston martin driving at right? 90 miles an hour what, what was the point of that i don't i don't, I don't well I don't from lashif's from lashif's side i can see it because uh, two things could happen. Either Bond, you know, flips his car seven times, avoiding killing her, or he runs her over, in which case he could be a very easy target. You know, I mean, I think he would be filled with grief and you could plan for that and, right. and you know, grab him from there. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's the specter, uh, you know, it's the Mr. White involvement that, that gets, pretty weird for me the other idea is that well if she uh placed you know if it if the money is just only supposed to go to a certain account that's been predetermined before the poker event even though we didn't see it um you know she is needed to be alive to confirm that account but that means that she would have set the account to the Spectre account prior to knowing who would win. So no matter who wins, the money's going to the Spectre account as long as they have the password. But we also see that they don't care about the money. Um, right. Unless, unless they abducted her boyfriend after the fact, like after he won, no, 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 no. She has she has to be in on the deal from from day one. From the moment you you first see her on screen, she has to already be inspector's pocket. Otherwise, I, I don't see any way that anything makes sense. Like there's no there was no opportunity for them to come and like intimidate her, I think. Right. Um, yeah. Unless there's something in the book that's not in the movie. Maybe this is all, like, in the book, and they tried to get as much of the book in the movie, but kind of had to finagle some things. But I haven't read the book, and I don't know. Maybe maybe someone listening can shoot us a bone here if, if they have, and that might solve a lot of the problems. But Lashif says, while he's torturing Bond, that he needs the password from Bond and the account number from her. But both of these should be useless to Lashif, as, like, 
all that would do is authorize payment into what Lashif believes is the MI6 bank account. Oh, he yeah. Doesn't, he doesn't know that Vesper is also playing him. Right. Lashif doesn't know that uh, Vesper is on Team Spectre. And also, right. like, you know, the Swiss banker, like, why is he, why would he uh, visit anyone? Like, I mean, let's say Lashif had, uh, let's see. Well, if Lashif had won the money, then it would have been his passcode and his account number. That didn't happen. Right. Um, Vesper put the account number in as not the MI6, as she promised, but into Spectre's account. So she needs... Well, she didn't put it in a Spectre's account, right? Uh, she put it in because then Spectre wouldn't have had to collect the money from her. She physically delivered the money to them. Well, they need the passcode. No, I know they need the passcode, but she go remember in Venice, she goes to the bank to withdraw the money and then takes it over to Spectre to Mr. Right, but that that money can't be put into Spectre's account until someone puts in the right passcode and only Bond knows that passcode. But what I'm saying is when they wake up from the hospital, she puts in the account number and then he puts in the passcode and the money's delivered. So if she's putting it into the Spectre account, there's no need for her to physically hand them the money. She puts it into a sum account, and then she goes to withdraw the money and then hands right. it to Spectre. Okay. Well, okay. Well, she might have, instead of putting in it into a Spectre account, maybe she set up uh, like a third account, which would right. be smart on her part. Like a totally third party. None of, like... She's supposed to, based on her cover, she's supposed to put in the MI6 account, right? Based on her cover. Or or, or her company's account. Because there's that guy that M, when M calls Bond is like, where's the money? The guy, I don't know who that guy is that she's standing with. But um, there's, you're right, there's an account she was supposed to send it to. So I don't know if it's MI6 or if it's it's her company's that, that whatever firm she worked for, it might have been their account, and she only put it into some, like you're saying, a, a hidden account that only she knew about. Right. So that helps me out a lot. That, that I think, brings everything together. She has to have been, and I believe she could have been smart enough to put it into, like, not, like, the account number she gave in the beginning, which we didn't see, but later we're given to believe that she did, and the account numbers need to match was not MI6, it wasn't Spectre, it was to uh, a third account, an unnamed account, which that gives her the leverage to still be able to convince Mr. White to leave Bond alive and also require her presence for them to get the funds. Right. That's, that's I'm hoping... We solved that because I was confused by it. Well, it still it still doesn't solve what is going on with her inspector for me. Like this whole second movie that starts, it it still bothers. Like like I I'm like well first of all, when was her boyfriend abducted? Obviously way beforehand. If that's the case, then why is she unwilling to give the five million to Bond if the money's already lost? Right. 
Why didn't she give him the second buy-in? Why did we need the CIA guy? By the way, that guy that plays the CIA oh, guy right, is in right. Westworld. Why didn't she give him the second buy-in for sure? Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah, because it's only if Bond wins does she, as a Spectre agent, give Spectre access to the money. There's no other case, right? If Lashif right. wins, he gets the money. If the black guy or the Japanese guy or the Chinese woman, whatever, if any of them win, you know, her account number is irrelevant. Oh, I see what you mean. I guess that kind of makes sense. So she's under duress from Spectre to get this money. He's supposed to... Wait, hold on. The LRA wanted the money. It's... Right? Why does Spectre want the money? For sure. Where is Spectre in this? This is where I'm confused. This whole second movie that starts. Why does Spectre want the money? Well, I mean, other than they need money or whatever. But it seemed to me like LRA is the one that wanted the money, not Spectre. Now, all of a sudden, this shadow organization shows up and wants the $120 million Mr. White, Mr. White specifically says, we don't care about the money. We just needed to know who we could trust. And then shoots Lashif. So, yeah, it's uh, it's starting to fall apart in my head. Yeah. This is, this is where I'm confused. And I, I'm like, all right, whatever. I gave up at that part of the movie. <laughs> right. Okay. So I'm willing, I'm willing to as well. Like I think we've spent enough time around it. Like uh, it's, it's, it's confusing. It's got holes. It's minus yeah. five points. Uh, what else can I say? A metal suitcase with a uh, hundred million in cash would not be able to float on water. and wait didn't we figure out how much cash could fit in one briefcase and you could never in any denomination of bills fit that much money into a briefcase you know i did i did the math on this one you know me i i i like me a calculation of like how much money actually weighs and I've, Uh i've mentioned this several times on this podcast um 22 pounds in a hundred million in uh, in in one hundred dollar bills, that's twenty two pounds. That's not inconceivable to fit in that briefcase, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely would have sunk to the bottom. It would have been wouldn't have been right. floating. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last uh, the last text that Vesper sent. Uh, gave James Mr. White's phone number, mm-hmm. uh, which is how we assume that how, and this is our, like our final scene of the movie uh, where uh, Bond shoots uh, White in the leg and then says, uh, you know, uh, Bond, James Bond. And um, one thing I really dig about this, I mean, I, I can t- definitely take Casino Royale on its own. Um I don't think I'm, I'm not sure. Well, besides Lord of the Rings, uh, I'm not sure how many movies I've seen where the sequel picked up like immediately, like one minute after the events of the previous movie. Uh, but that's what quantum of solace does. Oh, Oh, that's cool. 
Yeah. Uh, there was a prequel, a retcon prequel. Rogue One did that. Hey, good point. And uh, let's see. Uh, I'm getting hyped for uh, No Time to Die. I'm very hyped. Yeah. I made it my personal mission. I'm going to watch all four of the, well, let's see. Is it four or five? Anyways, all of the uh, new Bond, the Daniel Craig movies, uh, right up to the beginning of that so that I feel like completely caught up. Uh, I'm all the way up to Spectres, the next one I'm going to watch. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for the new film, um, especially since we're probably going to find out who the next Bond might be. Um, I don't know. You want to chat a little bit about that? Like, I, I, I don't like the idea of them just pa- – like, why not just start a new double O? Like, why do we need, like, a whole new – well, I guess it's the Bond franchise. But I, w- I would like to see Idris Elba. But I know they were trying to set up uh, That's Tom my Hiddleston pick. That's, that's absolutely Manager. my pick. I, I think yeah. he would be a fucking amazing James Bond. Absolutely. And really spin it into a, a – you know, slightly different direction, but still be able to like hold the audience attentions. He he's he's great. He's a great male sex symbol kind of actor that I think yeah. can do very I classy. Can, I think he can hit all the bells. Right, absolutely. Um one of the other things I you know, when we did the night manager, the Tom Hiddleston was set up to be Bond, but I guess that kind of still hasn't like i don't think that's gonna happen at this point but uh i think he would be good but yeah i'm with i think my my number one would be idris elba because he just has all the he has the charm the 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 popularity and like he's a tough guy you know type of thing so i think he can pull it off all right well i mean pretty soon we were at least doing a brush pass for no time to die right oh yeah well i mean at the time you know, if all goes as planned, the audience is listening to this the day before No Time to Die comes out. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. So when I first saw this, I was really excited, loved every minute of it, you know, and I was like, this is what a Bond film should be. This is way better than what's been going on. But now watching again after we've been tearing these spike films apart, I'm kind of like, meh. So I don't know. I think I think I want to give this. Let me see my numbers first. I like this more than the other bonds, so I don't want to give it a two. Oh, I'm sure you're gonna want to give it at least like a bump up from from there. Yeah. Uh, but let's see. What was the highest bond? Tomorrow film? never dies. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a three because I have tomorrow never dies at two point five. Uh-huh. Which is higher than Russia with love. Yeah, so I'm gonna give this a three. Oh no, you know, I'm just gonna match. I'm gonna match. I'll do this at a two point five. I really th- that whole second movie starting really kind of bothered me. I'm I'm gonna go with a two point five. Wow. This is this is definitely uh, showcasing the uh, differences between you and I as uh, movie aficionados. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm going for the hot five, and I want to explain why. Oh. Uh, some of these spy movies that we watch uh, over and over in preparation for the podcast cause me to lose enthusiasm for the film and and i think that's what you're talking about happened with you 
in my case, it actually went the opposite way. The more I watch this film, the more I appreciate it. And I've, I've come to really love its, its warts. Uh, I like Vesper's character and I really like how she absolutely like finally gives our James Bond, like a reason for us to understand why he hates and distrusts women. Um, and I thought that was great on, on first and second viewing. Like the more I watch it, the more stupid her choice to like suicide <laughs> seems. Uh, but the more I watch it, the more I just kind of lean into that stupidity and say like, this is, I don't know. This is fucking cool. Um, even, even, even polishing off those, those warts, like, I can't drag it down to a 4.5. I'm still going to put it to a five because of the ambition of this film to reboot the longest running franchise of all fucking time and to just do it so well. Um, I think it acknowledges all of the franchise's problems, tries to address them and is largely successful. Uh, I could go watch it again right now. <laughs> I was seriously, I was seriously thinking about calling you at, you know, you, you were at a party. I was like, dude, you wanted to go see? Cause when I found out like Casino Royale, oh, that was, was playing, in theaters. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, you know, I've just watched it like four times. So I'm like, Oh fuck. I'll go watch it again right now in the theater. Yeah. So yeah. that's gotta be a five for me, but you know, a movie can be really enjoyable for either of us to different degrees, but um, tradecraft wise, that's a different story. Absolutely. What, what did you think? Well, my best number three uh, matched uh, your best number two. And that was uh, right, where, yeah. yeah, Mathis showed his value and engendered trust. Uh, by eliminating Lashif's police advantage by manufacturing my by manufacturing fake evidence of the real corruption, that's that's great. My number two was uh, yeah, when uh, Bond strayed into you know some uh, Jason Bourne type uh, yeah trace trace the call you know do all these steps that we talked about in Bahamas. Just really good stuff and and surprising to uh, finally get to see Bond do some actual spy stuff instead of just being a fucking troubleshooter. Um, number one best. Yeah, maybe I'm kind of flaky on this, but uh, if Vesper was indeed working for Spectre the entire time, she never she she held her hand very close to her chest. Uh, my number three best tradecraft was uh, when the that super dicky rich guy was like, why are you making me wait? And Bond just, without even missing a beat, pretended to be the valet and then like crashed the car to set off the alarms as a diversion for security. I, I like that. It was fun, despite some of my qualms. Uh, my number two best tradecraft uh, was uh, the same as uh, Todd's number three, The when Mathis had the chief of police arrested to establish trust with Bond and Vesper. Uh, but my number one best tradecraft by far was Lashif forcing a tell 
into Bond so that Bond would dump a bunch of money when he thought he was bluffing. I thought that was very, very well done. What about your worst? Uh, worst number three, Malacca. Burn face, burned hands, 17-hour flight from Madagascar to Miami with a big fucking I'm a bomb thing in his bag. <laughs> Stupidity. Um, uh, my worst number two, I thought like, you know, after the, um, after the Miami interruption, all of a sudden MI6 had like so much information about Lashif. You know, this was the mission. We were supposed to get information on what, who is funding these bombers. Well, apparently all of a sudden you knew the whole time. Fuck you. You could have skipped the, the first hour of the movie and just gone after him. My number one worst tradecraft. It's a bunch of stuff, but it all adds up. M, Judy Dench, stop leaving your laptop around. Get some security around your house. Pay attention. You know, don't have a don't have a computer screen that just takes one touch of your finger to access. Like all this stuff. Don't let Bond like run around with your username and password. Like your IT just fucking sucks. Bad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, my number three worst tradecraft um, uh, was using the security cameras to spot Demetrios with that timestamp from the cell phones. It's kind of bothered me that it just so happened that he got out of his car and got the message and. I would have liked to see more of Bond trying to figure out who had that cell phone in that area. Um, my number two worst tradecraft was uh, Bond letting him get self-poisoned. Wait, wait. That was silly. Uh, and then my number one worst tradecraft by far was Lashif leaving his inhaler on the poker table. It was it was such a bad idea. And if that's part of your livelihood, you're not going to just leave it there for funsies. That would have been super fun if it had like twisted around and been been like part of some master plan. Yeah, that he forced it onto Bond and then Bond gets trapped. Yeah, that would have been great. Park benches. What do we what do we think? What I'm curious about is just looking at like what our previous bonds are. Uh, mm -hmm. tomorrow never dies. We've got a one. Russia with love. Uh, we went way up to a 2.5. The Spy Who Loved Me. Also sitting at a 1. Um, this isn't really going much farther than the 1s. In my mind. I think Russia Would Love had more tradecraft than this one did. Uh, La Femme Nikita, Red, those were 2s. I think they had much more than this one. Very hard to compare. Um, so uh, give me just give me your opening bid, and I'll, I'll see uh, if I, I'll see if I can make a counter argument. Because sounds like five. you're gonna go low. <laughs> okay. Uh, one point five. Mission Impossible three. We give a one point five. I think that I think that feels about right. Yeah, that feels that feels right to me. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I can yeah. 
I'm looking at our twos. I don't think I can pull you up there. Uh, I'm going to call it a 1.5 with you. And that's going to be uh, an episode of Spies Like Us. Thanks for hanging out with us this long. If you made it this far, uh, I think this is even after editing, this is going to be a pretty long episode. And my hope is that you're listening to this episode in eager anticipation of going out to see No Time to Die tomorrow night. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You can find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.